The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Hello there. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'd like to give a big shout out to my entire West Day family and to my worldwide fans of the Transformation for Success show. My thanks for your love and support. And thank you so much again for listening. You know, this is a great day, and I'm excited to have on the show today my guest, Dr. Sheila Williams. We have a very interesting topic for you today and a discussion that not many people share. So I'm happy to have Dr. Sheila share her journey of caring for a mother who suffered from clinical depression and her incredible story of how she persevered through emotional disorders, disorders and a no she received in high school from a counselor to live her life today as an inspiration to others. Shania Williams is a behavioral analyst, counselor, educational leader, and author of her first book, My Mother's Keeper, that shares how she cared for her mother's illness with clinical depression. So I want you to stay tuned. Don't go away. You know, all of us have faced some kind of challenges in every area of living. And there are many sufferers worldwide of various mental illnesses. You know, Milton, mental illnesses are medical conditions that disrupt a person's thinking, feeling, mood, ability to relate to others, daily functioning. And just as diabetes is a disorder of the pancreas, which my own daughter suffered from, mental illnesses are medical conditions that often result in a diminished capacity for coping with the ordinary demands of life. They're serious illnesses, and they can't be overcome through willpower, or they're not related to a person's character or intelligence. And oftentimes, children of parents who have mental illnesses may be catapulted into adulthood, even at a very young age. And you're going to hear about my guest today and what she went through, and how she overcame and is a successful woman, well, I should say successful dynamic woman she is today. So stay tuned for today's show with my guest, Dr. Sheila Williams. I'm here every Tuesday at 12 noon on the Empowerment Channel and on Fridays at 12 noon on the Women's Channel. So I invite you to tune in each week. You can access me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also download my shows for your listening pleasure through my website, www.transformationforsuccess.com. You know, I'm thrilled every week with joy to be an ambassador of light and love with interviews from individuals from all walks of life and professions who share their transformational journeys with you. This show simply is designed to give you hope, encouragement, and to enrich your life, to take that step of action to transform your life personally and professionally. So you're welcome 
today, listeners, to email me your comments or questions about the show to info at transformationforsuccess.com. And you're also welcome to call in the show today to ask questions of Dr. Sheila or me. You can call this number, 1-888-346-9141. And if you're calling internationally, 001-480-553-5754. So, again, listeners, text your friends or email them to tune in today's show, or they can download the show later for their listening pleasure, because I know you're going to be inspired, enlightened, and uplifted by our program today. Now to my guest. Welcome, Dr. Sheila. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing great, actually. Fantastic. I want to hear that. (laughs) I can't thank you enough, Dr. (laughs) Sheila, for taking the time from your schedule to be on the Transformation for Success radio show today. You know, you have an incredible story to share with the listeners today. But first, I just want to give them a little few more points about you, Dr. Sheila. Number one, Dr. Sheila is a mental health therapist. She's a counselor, published author of her first book, which she's going to talk about today. And she is an educational leader, and she's also president, CEO of SW Consulting Services. Dr. Sheila, you have an extensive educational background in psychology. You have an MA in counseling and a PhD in leadership in education. So you know what I'm going to say? Obviously, being told by your high school counselor that college was not for you, you would not take a no and turn what you could have seen into a challenge, a challenge into an opportunity to prove that what? Yes, you can. So I, I have a lot of questions for you today because, you know, it isn't every day that you hear that someone who had to take care of a mother who suffered from clinical depression and multiple sclerosis. So I, I want to know, uh, as we go into the questions. How old were you when your mother was diagnosed with clinical depression? Uh, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s when mm-hmm. she was finally diagnosed. But mm-hmm. I mean, throughout my childhood, from mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember, uh, you know, she showed the signs of clinical depression. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was not appropriately diagnosed until obviously 20, 22, 23 years later. Oh, yeah. What was it like growing mm-hmm. up, you know, with a mother who was having, you know, challenges, obviously? Yes, yes. We did not know. You know, I just thought that this is just the way that, that my mother is. Like, she was very yeah. quiet. Uh, I often mm-hmm. tell people that in the home, she didn't like the blinds open, so it was often kind of dark. In the mm-hmm. home, uh, she didn't like a lot of noise. So when I watched TV or I listened to the radio, it had to be down kind of low. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this is for the most part because obviously there were days in there that she did want the blinds open and she did not mind TV being up. But for the most part, she liked mm-hmm. it very quiet and very dark. And at times mm-hmm. she would, most of the time, she would complain of physical ailments uh, that would um, constrict her to lying down in bed and just, you know, taking naps mm-hmm. and not really wanting to be bothered a lot. But she was mm-hmm. extremely quiet, and that's just the way that we thought that she was. And, you know, it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized that everybody's mother is not quite like that. Some moms mm-hmm. are really outgoing and, you know, soccer moms and very active in you mm-hmm. know, the PTA and everything else. But I know she was not like that at all. So I just thought I- it was normal. <laughs> it was my norm. Wow. I- <laughs> Oh, well, isn't that interesting, you know, because that that usually is the case. How many children were in the family? Was she a single parent or you had a dad in the home? 
No, no, no. She and my father were childhood friends, and they got married in their 20s and stayed married for 50-something years. So she married the love of her life, and he as well. And uh, they had mm-hmm. the three oh, of us. Wonderful. I was the youngest of, I am the youngest of three children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So was she pretty well during the first part of her life uh, until you came along pretty much? No, no. She, uh, as it mentions, and I talk about briefly in the book that perhaps there had been something she had alluded to, perhaps something happening to her in a, in her childhood. And mm-hmm. at one point, she was quite outgoing and active, and then something had happened to her. What that something was, whether or not she witnessed something or she, you know, experienced mm-hmm. something, I do not know. Uh, she did never. She never really expounded upon what it was. But uh, family members have, you know, alluded to that at some point she stopped talking. And from that point, obviously, my mother was born in the 1930s. So at that point, I mean, obviously, there was not a lot of, you know, going to see a psychiatrist or, or seeking mental health counseling back then. You just kind of dealt with whatever it was. So she carried this, obviously, throughout uh, her childhood mm-hmm. into adulthood, into her marriage, and then child number one, child number two, and I was a third child. So this right. stayed on for a very long time, yeah. uh, most of her, uh, actually all of her life, um, to, to say the least. So, no, she she probably had clinical depression for a very long time, and it unfortunately was not diagnosed until I was, like I said, my early 20s. Mm-hmm. How did your father mm-hmm. relate to this in the home? Well, he absolutely adored my mother, so whatever she needed and however he could accommodate her, that's what he did. Um, mm-hmm. Very traditional uh, man. He he worked two, three jobs to take care of uh, my mother and um, all three of the children in our household. My mother obviously did not work. She was a housewife. And everything that he could possibly do from financial to emotional support in every other mm-hmm. way, he mm-hmm. was there for my mother um, up until, you know, she passed away. So um, she never uh, went into a nursing home or anything like that. It was his wish and hers as well uh, to remain in the home uh, for both of them. And so uh, that is what we did. We made sure that, you know, she remained at home and he took care of her, um, you know, of course, with my help and the help of other nurses and, and so on and so forth um, mm-hmm. until she passed mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I listen you know, looked at your story and read your book, and, and actually, you know, I, I had a lot of empathy and compassion for for you uh, as a youngest child, you know, in this situation. And I, you know, I thought about, gee, Dr. Williams, how, what kinds of support um, would help for, for you as you grew up? You know when I say that, let me rephrase that. Kind of uh, because you know, as a child, I mean, in a teenager, uh, situation, it was your norm. But as you reflect, what kind of support think would have been helpful for you as you were going in this situation? Well, I don't really um, think that anyone on the outside of the family could have helped in any kind of way because they did not mm-hmm. know. We never disclosed that my mother had clinical. Obviously, we didn't know until I was in my 20s that she mm-hmm. did have clinical depression. So even as a child, we never said anything. So it was kind of, okay. you know, okay, it's just something we got to deal with and we'll work it out. Um, I don't think that it was ever an embarrassment per se. It was just 
uh, something that we didn't talk about. And it became, you know, kind of, again, the traditional way of dealing with things, especially in the African-American home, that uh, the family business remains in the family. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, really anything that we intentionally kept as a secret. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. something that you do. You handle whatever it is that life brings your way, and you deal with it the best way that you can. So even as a child, uh, some kind mm-hmm. of way, um, I was just talking to my brother the other day, and the way that he explained it to me, because he is seven years older than I, so he definitely remembers mm-hmm. when I was born and me as a child, and he says, you've always been this way. I've always I kind of just taken whatever challenges come my way and uh-huh. I deal with it as best as possible. So he always said that I was this bubbly, outspoken uh, little kid. And so even though my mother was uh, very quiet and very introverted and liked it dark in the house and didn't uh, socialize with uh-huh. a lot of people, I found myself able to make the best of whatever situation it was. So. When she was quiet, it gave me an opportunity to read. It gave me an opportunity to, uh, you know, be comfortable uh-huh. with, with me, be comfortable with being alone. Uh, you know, I find things to keep myself busy, and that allowed me to excel in school because I was the first one able to be able to do my homework and to do, you know, you tell me to do chapters one through nine, I might as well do chapters one through 15 because I have the time Mm -hmm. and it's really quiet. So I might as well just do my work. So I was engaged in a lot of activities, extracurricular activities. And so I would say that was a bit of support for me as well to be able to socialize and interact with other children, Mm -hmm. other children, other families, Mm -hmm. other, uh, you know, school officials, teachers, administrators, and other activities in the community and in church as well. So it was my outlet, and I think that all of it combined is what helped me, you know, get through all of it. Well, you know, I was I was just thinking of reflecting on what you were saying. It's like, gosh, you were blessed to be born with this bubbly, uh, outgoing personality and right. to be able to be more directed than indirected. Was your brother more affected in a way than, uh, because he's seven years older, would you say, or was he, um, how did this affect him? I would say probably all three of us uh, were affected very differently. Uh, For my brother Mm -hmm. and my sister, both of them, you know, my brother is seven years older and my sister is nine, almost ten years older. Uh, Both of them uh, pretty much dealt with it a little bit different than I did because once they graduated from high school, they went on for their careers in the military. And so it took them away from, you know, obviously the responsibility to the military and their service to the, right. to the country. Right. Took them out of, out of the country and away. So they um, were not uh, present to be that caregiver. But I did not okay. go into the military. Obviously, I went to college. And so it was just something that I continued to continue to do. Uh, so even as a child, um, you know, being that caregiver for my mother, obviously it, she became a little, you know, things began to progress. So uh, as I came along seven, nine years later, um, she was more so in her disability uh, with the clinical depression. And then later, uh, another 15 to 20 years later, the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So uh, both of those coupled together, um, you know, made her disease yes. and her disability, you know, right. kind of profound. Yeah. So 
um, you know, it's just something that I embrace. And again, I just took it as a responsibility that was mine. And I did what I, you know, I just did what I needed to do. At, at times it was challenging, but again, I, you know, I always told right. people if I had the opportunity, I would do it all right. over again, you know, just the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why I was asking this inquiry, so because, one, uh, having you on the show to really be so transparent and authentic about this, and I really appreciate that, because a lot of, like you said, in many families, and particularly African-American families, if there were challenges in the family where mental illness was a concern um, or was a fact, no one talked about it. And, I mean, it was just kept. It was just, you know, and I think many of our families, if we start to go back, uh, many families, they have been cases where mom, dad, aunt, or uncle, or someone in the family uh, suffered uh, mil- uh, mental illness. Uh, but mm-hmm. oftentimes, children, uh, as yourself, are forced to act as caretakers. They may be, as I said, catapulted into adulthood at an early age and don't right. get their physical and emotional needs met. So, But I tell you what, Dr. Sheila, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back, and we're going to talk about What about that high school counselor that gave you a no? You were not meant for college. So listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Ann takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio Airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi there, and welcome back to my show today with my guest, Dr. Sheila Williams, who is an independent consultant for SW Consulting Services, a mental health therapist, a behavioral analyst, counselor, and author of her current book, which actually is one of a trilogy that's going to be coming out, and the book is My Mother's Keeper. So we were just sharing, as we went on break, of her growing up with uh, being a caretaker for her mom, 
who had who suffered from uh, clinical depression and also double whammy, multiple sclerosis. So welcome back, Dr. Sheila, and thank you so much for sharing. Um, I want to know, we were talking about um, really sometimes with children who are forced to act as uh, caretakers for their parents at such a young age, it can catapult them into an adulthood at an early age. And uh, one of the things that I know when you went to high school, you had an experience with a high school counselor, a guidance counselor. Tell me how that happened. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, I, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, I had the did. It is true. I did have a lot of responsibilities, uh, you know, at a very early age. That, you know, most, mm-hmm. most kids 10 or 11 or 12 years old don't have. Uh, at uh, 14, 15 years old, I started my first job. And, uh, you know, I pretty much always wow. had good grades, and I was in a, a lot of clubs, yes. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just thought that it was, the, you know, the right thing to do and the natural progression of everything, again, because I was so mature. Uh, so I went to, to work at, like, 14, 15 years old, and, and then when it was um, my junior year, we start to have that, those conversations about whether or not you're going to go into a military or you're going to work full-time or you're going to go to college. You start to have these conversations mm-hmm. with your guidance counselor, and uh, I knew at a at a very early age, obviously, um, you know, doing well in school, I wanted to continue my education and go to college. Um, again, as I mentioned before, we were on uh, only on my father's income because my mother mm-hmm. did not work. Uh, my right. father took good care of um, of our family, uh, but my father, you know, he was not a rich man. Uh, financially, but he did what was needed to make sure that we had everything that we needed, and we had about 70% of what we wanted uh, from him working two, three, and sometimes four jobs. Uh, wow. He had a sixth, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had a, my father did have a sixth grade education, but you would not have known that. He took his stuff back to school um, and, you know, taught himself. And, and, of course, my mother, she did graduate from high school. And as mentioned before, they were so close. So she supported him, and he supported her, and their love was like, you know, like none mm-hmm. else, none other. So when I, you know, was in school, it was not a question as to whether or not I would go to college. It was just how I was going to go um, okay. and uh, which mm-hmm. college I was going to go to. So, you know, I started to get scholarships early on, and after mentioning this to my guidance counselor, it was his suggestion that I that I go into the military, uh, like my like my brother had gone, and uh, because my parents uh, could not pay for college outright, even though I had a few scholarships, his recommendation mm-hmm. was for me to to go to the military. So he kind of um, insisted that I sign up for the military entrance exam. I took the ASVAB, and I did. Uh, you know, I didn't want to take it, but I did. Uh, mm-hmm. and I did, you know, pretty well on the ASVAB, so I started to get recruiters calling me, and uh, it wasn't until I just was, like, really adamant about, I just did this because my guidance counselor told me to do it. It's not what I really want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, you know, just went to him one day, and I said, I understand that you're probably doing your job, but this is not what I want to do, so I greatly appreciate it if you stop trying to force the military on me. I mean, it's great for a lot of people, but it was just not the path that I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he had a few words for me, I believe. And then, you know, I just went on, on, onto my path. And once I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I did go back to high school and I showed him my, uh, my, my first degree from, from my bachelor's degree. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to show him, like you said that I wasn't going to be successful, but I did it, you know, and 
And then, of course, I, I continued on thereafter. I'm sure he's quite uh, retired at this point, uh, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> but he actually but, told um, you that college is not for you. Yes, he told me that. He told me that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that well, I will you know, never I, I applaud you. Because, yeah, it's just, it's just like nothing that you would ever want to tell a child. Um, you would try to find that student. Uh, and assist them with finding the funds because there's funds everywhere, uh, from scholarships to grants and to, you know, work studies, um, you know, even loans, student loans, if you have to, as a last right, resort. Right, but right. There, there is a way to obtain a college degree if that is what you, you know, you or your child or loved one really want to do. There is a way to do that. And, um, to tell someone that that is not for them, I just think that that's, that's an awful thing to do. But well, you know, again, not, mm-hmm. you know, just not looking at it from a negative. I'm like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to go get my degree. And when I get it, I'm going to bring it back to the school. I'm going to show it to him. And that's exactly what I did. Well, you know, that's fortunate for you, too. Um, as a person who was in education for 37 plus years, I can tell you, I've heard many stories where a person was told in high school that college is not for you. And they accepted mm-hmm. that and believed that and did not pursue because of what someone said to them. Oh my. And so uh, I, I really want, yes, yes, it has happened. And I, I can tell you so many students who refused to accept that, uh, like yourself, who said, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to do better. I, I want to go on to college. I want to succeed. I want an education. And so I applaud you for having that in you because obviously – the master craftsman himself had a purpose for you, Dr. Sheila, mm-hmm. and that was to yeah. continue your education so you could be where you are today. And yes. uh, which gets, you know, and now when you got your bachelor's, were you inspired to go on to get a master's and then a Ph.D.? Tell me a, a little bit about that path. I did. You know, once I, I finished the bachelor's degree, I, I actually worked for a few years. Uh, with a bachelor's degree uh, in psychology. And, and, you know, I just missed being in school and learning and taking, I know it might sound crazy to some, but uh, I really missed it because I was so engrossed in education for so long that, you know, for those two or three years that I was not in school, I legitimately missed it. And uh, besides that, I knew that, you know, if I wanted to increase my salary, I needed to, you know, get something a little bit higher than a bachelor's degree. I needed to get an advanced degree. So that's why I decided to get the master's degree. So once I, you know, got the master's degree and I was working in the field even more so as a therapist, as a counselor, as a behavior analyst, I then decided, uh, you know, in, in being contracted into schools and working in educational settings as a counselor, I realized mm-hmm. so many times that the mental illness uh, for children or if they're in a home that is, quote, unquote, dysfunctional or there are, mm-hmm. um, you know, things going on in, in the child's home, this, this also affects the child's um, ability to appropriately excel in the educational setting. So that is why I made the transition and to go and get my doctorate degree in leadership and education and then to become a teacher Mm -hmm. and then eventually uh, an assistant principal and then so on and so forth into a dean and a director of education where I currently serve. So that is the transition with that because I'm still 
in that educational setting. So I'm learning every day. Right. And I'm able to talk about the experiences that I had. I mean, I don't go into it in great detail, but oftentimes when students are challenged and they have these life experiences, it's really good to be able to say to the students, um, you know, sometimes they see me as doc. They see Dr. Williams, and they don't think that I've ever had any kind of story um, mm-hmm. that I've ever had to go uh, and above and beyond or right. to overcome any types of obstacles. So to be able to share these things to you know to to a minimal um, extent, it makes them realize that okay, wow, if she was able to do that, then perhaps I am able to go on to finish this degree. So well, it, uh, ma- it doesn't surprise yeah. me. Let's go ahead. Well, it certainly made you uh, and makes you relatable when uh, you can say, I've had it tough. I've gone through some tough times, and I came through them, and so can you. Now, do you mm-hmm. feel that uh, basically when you pursued your educational career in the mental health field that it was because of mm-hmm. your uh, childhood situation? Oh, most certainly. I mm-hmm. started to research psychology and mental health. I just, mm-hmm. I think I started to basically look up the symptoms that my mother was experiencing mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost in high school. And I changed my major. I was always really good at math. And um, mm-hmm. believe it or not, I wanted to be an astronaut. So uh, oh, that was my <laughs> first choice. Yes, <laughs> this has been a little bit of a change along the way. So I uh, probably about that junior, senior year, I decided to change my major in college from math to pursuing a major in psychology so Mm -hmm. that I can not only learn more about the field of psychology and how to better relate with others, but then in doing so, I learned a lot about myself and obviously Mm -hmm. a lot about my mother. So then, of course, from that bachelor's degree in psychology, I went on to, um, you know, the master's degree in counseling, where I was able to even more so um, get a better understanding about the field and mental illness uh, itself. You know, it's really just fascinating uh, in the sense of, you know, coming, because let me put it this way, there are so many people who will say, I would have, could have, should have, if it had not been for the fact my mother was this, or my father was this, and, but you can do anything you set your mind to, and obviously, Dr. Sheila, your, your background, although what I'm gathering, too, is that you had love in the home, to see a father love a mother, like, obviously, you saw the relationship between the two of them, certainly should have been rewarding for you to know that after you talk about seeing the correlation between a lot of the at-risk students that you later uh, discovered that they had so many social and emotional disorders that are related, uh, you know, to them. So I, I just want to just applaud you for again for just sharing uh, your journey because you've done a lot. Tell me about uh, what transpired you to tra- uh, transition to higher ed. You know, I had, uh, you know, pretty much every level. I've worked in public and private schools. I've worked mm-hmm. in elementary, middle, and high school. I've worked in uh, community colleges, also alternative education. I have worked uh, on ground, uh, you know, face-to-face on ground with college and university students as well as online. So mm-hmm. there's not uh, any level um, or educational sector that I have not worked in. So it, it has okay. been a natural progression, and then with the 
a doctorate degree in uh, leadership and mm-hmm. education. There's a specialization there uh, for an educational leader in higher education. So there's a specialized uh, part of my degree that basically mm-hmm. um, my training is to be a leader in a higher educational setting. So it has been a natural progression, like I said, over mm-hmm. the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you know, um, I just can't believe, I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm sort of reflecting upon uh, is some things you told, sort of shared with me, and that is why would people not believe your story? I mean, <laughs> a lot of people couldn't believe your <laughs> couldn't believe your story, so you decided to write your autobiography with uh, your your book, My Mother's Keeper. So tell me a little bit, what is Mother's Keeper about, and why you were motivated to write this and put it, you know, put this in word, you know, in print. <laughs> yes, yes. I, you know, I think that. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, sometimes when a person experiences life or challenges, mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't talk about it and, and we just deal with it as best we, we can. And that's, that's totally right. fine. For, for, for me, when, you know, I got the master's degree and I got the doctorate degree and I have these accolades and, and all of this experience and, uh, you know, I reached a certain level in my profession, um, I've often heard people say, to me and others, oh, she doesn't understand, or you wouldn't understand, Dr. Williams, and I'm thinking if they only knew, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. we can, mm-hmm. you've heard the cliche where people say, don't mm-hmm. judge a book by its cover, you know, so you right. look at someone and you tend to size them up, I like to say, you size right. up a person by by the house they live in or the car that they drive or the letters behind, you know, the last name or the position or the title mm-hmm. that they hold. But you don't know what that person has had to go through or the things that they've had true. to overcome in order to that get there. So, so, you know, it, it is great that a person accomplishes these things. But for me, and everybody has their own way of doing things, for me, I felt it very healing. It was healing for me to be able to write the book. And it was almost as if, and again, I'm going to take this to a spiritual level, it was almost as if God was moving me to tell my mm-hmm. story because so many times we don't tell our story. That's right. And I, you know, I could have been afraid or um, mm-hmm. a bit, I don't know, reserved with it to decide that I'm not going to say this in fear of being judged or in fear of mm-hmm. being looked at a certain way because I had right. a mother who had mental illness. Mm-hmm. But I tell everybody, if you go to 10 different homes in the same subdivision, in the same neighborhood, each mm-hmm. one of those homes is going to be dealing with something different. One That's home right. may be mental illness, and another one may be domestic violence. The next one may be alcoholism in the mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. The next one, you know, you never know. So That's exactly each right. And every one of us has a story to tell. And uh, I just decided to be the one to tell mine because at this point in my life, I have accomplished um, some things. I'm not done yet, but I have accomplished a lot of You have accomplished a lot, mind. lady. <laughs> well, <laughs> Thank you. well, tell me Thank real quickly, you. as we're coming to the close of the show, uh, mm-hmm. is this a book only for women? No, definitely not. If okay. you uh, take a look at the reviews on Amazon, you'll see that there are a lot of men who have read the book. Even high school and middle school students have read the book. So it's a clean book. It is uh, appropriate for, I would say, anyone that's maybe 12 or 13 So men and women can get this book. Men, women, children, you name it. There's <laughs> All a lot right. in there for, for everyone. Well, Dr. Sheila, 
I really want to thank you today for sharing and being so authentic to share your story of success. And really, I kind of titled the show, How a Person Can Turn a No into a Yes, I Can. And no matter what the obstacles were in your life and the challenges, you went through them and you said, there's a lot more for Dr. Sheila. And I know there is. So can you share with the listeners maybe three quickly, three, oh, I got a minute left, maybe two principles really quick that you would ask people to apply to their lives for success in transforming their lives? Two principles. First and foremost, you have to have a GPA. And that GPA would be your goal, your plan, and your action. You have your goal, your All plan, right. your action, you execute. And then the next thing is to believe and to know in your heart that nothing is impossible. Nothing. Thank you so much. A goal, a plan, an action, and believe yes. and know in your heart that nothing is impossible. So listeners, I know you've enjoyed the show today with my guest, Dr. Sheila Williamson. Dr. Sheila, thank you again for your insightful words and for just sharing your story. As we've learned today from Dr. Sheila's story, there are many potential problems that can hold us back. Here's a child, a teenager, as a caregiver of her mother with a mental illness. However, in her instance, she was able to complete high school with flying colors, work out her own psychological changes, turn a no into a yes, I can, and she decided to step into her destiny and become a catalyst for education reform and to see each day as an opportunity to touch someone's life in a positive way. So I want you listeners to stay tuned next week as I'll be back with another interesting show and guests. Until next week, Dr. Barbara Young, signing off for just a minute. We're going to be right back for the second half with Dr. Sheila Williams. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. If you're in an unhealthy relationship or you want to know what helps you avoid being in an unhealthy relationship, be sure to tune into Tamar's Relationship Transformations. Host, author, and certified relationship coach Tamar Neal uses real scenarios from her experience as a 911 operator and counselor to change the way you see potentially abusive relationships. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world.
This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. And welcome back. This is Dr. Barbara Young with Dr. Sheila D. Williams, who is my guest today, who's had over 20 years of successful professional experience. You know, she is very eclectic, and we've had a very wonderful discussion about her life journey dealing with a mother who had mental illness or she suffered from uh, depression, clinical depression, and multiple sclerosis, and how in spite of the obstacles and challenges she faced, even with a high school counselor telling her that she was not for college, and how, yes, she said, I can, college is for me, and this woman today is absolutely making a difference in the lives of so many people in the educational field. So, Dr. Sheila, we were talking about some of the things that inspired you. In fact, I want to ask that question, some of the things that inspired you to write My Mother's Keeper. And Mm -hmm. when we went on, before we went on break, you said it's not a book for women, it's for men and women. And there are a lot of comments that have been said about your book from both men and women. So tell me a little bit, what is My Mother's Keeper about, and then what inspired you to write it? You know, just my... My life experiences, like you said, and, uh, you know, after my mother passed away, the inspiration came from, uh, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint. I always tell my clients that it is very cathartic to write out, um, you know, your thoughts, uh, whether or not you're angry or you're sad or you're happy, to write out what you're feeling. It helps you to be able to process through your emotions. So I did just that. Uh, after my mother passed away, I started to write little notes, and then the notes turned into a page or two, and then the page or two turned into chapters, and then before you knew it, I had the book. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had it for a little while, not very long, before I decided to go ahead and, and to get it published because I felt mm-hmm. as if it was uh, it was a purpose and it was needed for me mm-hmm. to be able to, to write this story um, not as um, a fictional novel, but as an autobiography. This is very real. This is my life and my life experiences and everything that happened to me uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, well, not everything, but a lot of things that have happened to me. That's why it's, um, you know, going to be three different books because it could not all be written in one book. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the motivation and the inspiration for me to write the book because I want it to be healing for so many other people. And to be of inspiration to anybody who is going through anything. And as an educator, it is intertwined throughout the book how I went from one uh, educational uh, milestone to the next, from high school graduation to the bachelor's degree, the master's degree, and then the doctor's degree. And then, of course, as I'm talking about these things throughout the book, you will notice that I as well intertwined the challenges that I had to overcome and things that I had to deal with in each one of those stages of my life. So I've had uh, the pleasure of being able to have my book uh, being adopted by several uh, school districts 
So the book uh-huh. is available in the school. Some of the uh-huh. school districts have uh-huh. adopted the book as part of the curriculum for the students to read, and I think that's great, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that. About is that is great. Dr. Sheila, you know, when you speak about challenges and you mentioned them, tell us uh, a couple of challenges that uh, you really had to overcome, maybe the couple of the strongest ones, because we've all had them. Boy, I could give you a long list. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but uh, yes. <laughs> some of the greatest challenges you had to overcome, and how did you overcome them? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges was just realizing that my family was different. <laughs> And my mother okay. was uh, a different. So in middle school, children started to ask me, neighbors, uh, children in the neighborhood, children that I would be in school with, uh, you know, I'd be at these award ceremonies. Of course, my mother and my father would attend, but my mother would not uh, feel comfortable staying there after. She wouldn't be feeling good. She would leave immediately. So sometimes mm-hmm. there would be banquets or award ceremonies, and I would be there um, by myself. Because mm-hmm. they would be there, and then they would have my father would have to leave to take my mother home. So mm-hmm. again, I grew up really fast. I became very independent and very, um, you know, very mature mm-hmm. at an early age. So uh, just realizing that uh, you know my family situation was a little different, and my mother was not mm-hmm. like a lot of other mothers, and uh, just being able to to deal with that, and then having other kids ask me, "What's going on with your mama?" Why she? Why she don't ever right, say this right, stuff? And right. I'm like, well, she's here. And again, I, I try to always think about things in a positive light. Uh, I do have my mother, and she does come, whether she stays 30 minutes or an hour. She doesn't stay for four or five hours like the other moms, but she's here for 30 minutes or an hour, and I'm happy about that because I right. knew what she mm-hmm. would deal with when she was home, how she would you know, be in bed and be hurting and, you know, so on and so forth. Right, so, right. You know, just to be able to see her, you know, get dressed and to come out and to be engaged for the amount of time that she was, I was thankful mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that was a challenge within itself and that, you know, that was something that I dealt with all of my life, um, just not necessarily having her present as long as maybe some other parents were or as right. involved as some mm-hmm. of the other parents. So that was something, that was a, uh, one of the challenges I dealt with my entire life. The other challenge that I had was, uh, and I talk about it in the books, I don't want to give it all away, but, um, you know, the expectation that other family members would would, would be there for you, that is an expectation Mm -hmm. that when you finally do ask for for help, because this, again, has been, you know, was a lifelong responsibility that Mm -hmm. I had. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are times when you need help and to reach out and ask for that help and and think that you're going to get it, but when you don't get it, it is very disappointing. Um, so that was a major challenge that, again, I had to learn to to uh, be able to deal with and to get real with myself and also to get real with those who hurt me to, to you know, let them know that this was not okay what you did to me and uh, to set me up for thinking that you were going to be there for me and you were not. Again, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, I had to pray about that and ask to be able to forgive mm-hmm. them. Um, and so yeah, I was going to say, did. Mm-hmm. did you feel rebellious? Did you ever go through sort of a rebellious sort of period, you know, where you just say, you know, the heck with this, you know, uh, everybody's expecting me, I mean, you're the youngest and no one's around and I've got to do everything. Did you ever go through your stage of rebellion? No, actually, no, I did not. I never went through the stage of rebellion. 
at all. Uh, at times there was a, you know, it was very brief. Um, because I, again, I just felt like it was a responsibility that I had. I signed up for this. Uh, nobody's making me do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually embraced it because I felt like, you know, this is my mother. She carried me. She birthed me. She took care of me. She loved me. And obviously she's not well. She's not well mentally. And at the point where she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, she was not well physically. So, oh, yeah. you know, she had double yeah, whammy. Compounded. Yeah, mm-hmm. double whammy. So how could one not want to care for someone right. as sweet right. as she is and as, as fragile as she was, especially, again, being uh, aware that something had happened to her or she had observed as a child that had traumatized her. So, you know, she obviously needed um, as much love, attention, and care as possible. And, you know, I, I mean, who not to give it to her than her right. own daughter? So, right. uh, but, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question that you may not want to answer, but, you know, I, I, I'm curious because uh, I've talked to many people who've gone through this challenging experience with the mom. Did you ever feel that you might? Come, succumb to a mental illness? Oh, yes, most certainly. And, you know, as with mental illness, as with alcoholism, as with mm-hmm. so many other uh, diseases or disorders, you have to know that there is a hereditary trait within mm-hmm. uh, itself. So this doesn't necessarily right. mean that you're going, you're going to, you know, you're going to have this, but you have to be aware of it. And so from that, again, I feel so blessed to know you know, to know that this is something that my mother had, I am able mm-hmm. to, hey, let me make sure I'm all right here and, you know, be okay with okay. if I need to go and talk to somebody, I'm going to make sure I'm mm-hmm. the first one to go and talk to somebody if that were mm-hmm. to be the case. So, um, yes, most certainly, as with any other, like I say, with any other illness or yeah. if you know that you have a history mm-hmm. of, of, of cancer in your family, you're going to go right. and get those get those checkups. So to me, it's just right. as important. Right. If you know that your family has a history of mental uh, mental illness, then to make sure that you get the checkups that are needed when you need those checkups as well from a mental standpoint. Well, you know, I, w- I was curious because uh, one of the things, too, is that if we look at it in a positive aspect, Dr. Sheila, you were blessed in knowing that, knowing about it, knowing that there was mm-hmm. this in the family. The thing I think uh, is tragic is if there might be someone in the family that you don't know has uh, a mental illness and someone does succumb from that same illness because they didn't know. So they didn't even right. have the opportunity to look for the signs or to be aware of it. And I just share this as a personal uh, a statement. Uh, I talked about this earlier in the show when I talked about my daughter. Uh, my eight-year-old daughter was diagnosed, diagnosed as a juvenile diabetic. Well, my mm-hmm. husband, who was my ex-husband at the time, we'd only been divorced, I guess, maybe three years. And, uh, you know, when the doctor said to us, someone in the family has diabetes. And I said, well, not my family. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, not my family. Uh, he was very uh, haughty about it and a little angry that uh, we would insinuate that someone in his family had diabetes. And so the doctor insisted that this is inherited. And so... With a third child, normally in a family, there is there is diabetes in the family somewhere. Well, mm-hmm. I had no idea. So upon research, 
found out that it was on not only on my side of the family as well, but his side as well. We both discovered that. Mm. Now, I did not know also that I'd had two children and the third child, and usually with uh, the onset can occur or the diabetes can occur with the third child. I didn't know that. Oh, so anyway, wow. I, I didn't know it either. Yeah. So um, I, I, I had to accept this and live with this. And, of course, I was a divorced mother uh, mm-hmm. with a child, eight years old, diagnosed as a diabetic, juvenile diabetic, and had to learn how to give her shots every day. I almost lost her at that time. And oh, um, no. being a single parent with a child who is diabetic and has to have shots I was in school. I had no one to take care of her. So when you talk about the expectation that other people will do for you, will Mm -hmm. step in, I had no one who would step in uh, among my family members because it's like, oh, my God, I can't give a shot. And she'd had to have two shots a day. So Mm. I became the primary uh, caregiver for her, took her to school with me. And uh, but that's that's another story. But I'm very Mm -hmm. compassionate about you know, because it could be illnesses in a family that you don't know about. Now, maybe had right. I known that, I might have been able to, I don't know uh, whether I would have done something or not gotten pregnant with the third child. Don't know. But anyway, that was just mm-hmm. an interesting case of how things can be in the family and you don't know about it. So you were blessed because you did know and you're able to take precautions and make sure you're okay. Most On, certainly. So again, I just want to thank you for just sharing your story. I have one final question. In your journey, what's the one life lesson that you remember you can share with our listeners as you look back on your life? You know, it's it's what we've been talking about the entire show, to to not look at things just from a negative light, just to, to try to, regardless of what it is, whether it's a mental illness or a physical illness or bankruptcy, loss of a job or divorce, to think about as much as possible to be in that situation in that very moment and to start jotting down positives that you're going to be able to take from this experience. Perhaps you're not going to date the same kind of guy next time, (laughs) you know, uh, from from a a bankruptcy, you know, uh, I'm going to handle my finances a little bit differently next time. Um, I got laid off from this job, but I'm going to start my own business. Um, you know, try to turn that around to, to think about what positive you can take from whatever situation it is, however negative you think it may be. There's always something positive that you can take from Thank that and from that grow, from that grow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much. Dr. Sheila, I thank you so much for being on the show today. And as you were talking about that, I was reminded of a scripture from the good book that no matter in whatever situation we find ourselves in, trials, tribulations, to count it all joy to count it all joy. And I'm so happy that you were able to count it all joy to turn a no into a yes, I can, which has become your mantra for your life. And I want to thank you so much. And I wish you continued blessings as you continue your journey on the transformation road. So guest uh, listeners, I want you to stay tuned next week. I'll be back with another interesting show and guest. And until next week, this is Dr. Barbara Young signing off. And I'm saying to you, be encouraged. Be joyful, be grateful, be motivated, and be forever transformed with greatness. Keep well on your journey to success, and God bless.
appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week. 